It's time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 585 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, I have a great crowdfunding doubleheader, and it features Zach Howard and the return of Caleb Palmquist. It all starts with Zach from Image Comics' Moonshine Bigfoot, and his Kickstarter for this project will conclude on Saturday, April 29. It's described this way. It's a universal tale of growing up, escaping your comfort zone, and becoming the best version of yourself you can be. We discussed a few of his previous works, who the various characters are, how this book came to be, and what we can expect from this four-issue series and Zack in the future. Be sure to back it after you listen to our fun conversation. Then everything wraps up with my interview with Caleb Palmquist, who has a Kickstarter underway for The Knight and the Lion, a Swords of Arthur story. It's described this way. It's a fresh take on a classic Arthurian legend from the creator of Unicorn Vampire Hunter. Caleb updates us on how his various projects are moving forward, who the various characters in this book are, and what we can expect from him in the months ahead. Don't wait to back this exceptional project. I'm sure you'll enjoy what both of these creators have to say. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. I bet you've heard a lot of tales about Bigfoot. Now it's time to set the record straight. Because we do things a little different here in Buzzard County. Moonshine, muscle cars, and mayhem. That is the basis of the story for Moonshine Bigfoot. Moonshine Bigfoot is the story of a humble Bigfoot just trying to make his way in the world and the ancient conspiracy determined to ruin his fun. And it's great to welcome to the podcast, Zach Howard. Hello, Wayne. How are you doing? I'm already interrupting you. That's all right, because I'm used to that. That's fine. I, <laughs> I, I do a little longer introductions, and then people want to say, hey, I, it's time for me to talk. So I, I'm happy with that. Oh, no, I'll shut up. No, no, no. I, I, I was interested. I was looking through your career, and you've done a couple of things I want to mention real quick before we get to sure. the kickstart. You actually did Batman, who's my guy. And I was looking up some of the, uh, the illustrations. You do a good Batman, I have to say. Well, thank you. A uh, little dated nowadays. Uh, it was one of my that was my first mainstream job was Detective Comics uh, way back in the day, and I did some Nightwing and uh, some things I can't even remember now. I think Richard Dragon. I think I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so I, I, I bounced around the Batman universe, did some covers, uh, a few Batmans, uh, and then I came back in the early or no, the late aughts, and I did. Uh, uh, some Justice League covers for about a year, and I I got to draw them uh, in a kind of a more different fun style, which was very neat. Yeah, I did them a, a few times. Occasionally, still do a commission. Oh, great, great. Now, the book I, I, I real quickly will we'll talk about, and then we'll get to your your Moonshine. Uh, uh, sure, book, sure. But, 
The book I was the Cape. Ah, that book, which was uh, done by Joe um, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. Yep the uh, the son of Stephen uh, King. King. Yeah. Yeah. That book, I have to say, that put the fear of God in me. Yeah, we got the uh, Eisner nod for that one. It was uh, uh, I was just about to quit comics. I, I had kind of a bad experience on a miniseries, and I was just kind of burnt out working for companies. And uh, the guy who, who I did Shaun of the Dead with, which you may know that IP, it's a fairly famous one. I did the book. Mm -hmm. uh, with, that was uh, Chris Ryle's first book. He was running IDW at the time uh, back during the glory days, IDW. And, uh, uh, he just promised me if I ever quit comics, I at least will draw one more book with him. So mm -hmm. I was like, ah, sure. What do you got? And he's like, uh, Joe Hill. And this is before just, I think, I think lock and key, the first few issues were out. So nobody really mm -hmm. knew the, 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 the craziness that was actual, you know, the talent of Joe Hill and who he was and, mm -hmm. and uh, what he's about to create. So anyways, I was like, sure, I'll, I'll do one of his short stories. And that was the Cape. I would say we're about halfway through the one shot and they already decided to make a mini series out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's still in hardcover. It's never been in anything but hardcover. And I did that in 2010, I think. Mm -hmm. So that book's had a lot of success been optioned a few times and i would say people need to keep their eyes out uh now that black phone made so much money uh, uh had so much success i think we may be seeing the cape one day doing other things uh, See, as far the, as comic books the story is what got me this is a guy that gets a, a cape and allows him to fly yeah and you know we've always thought everybody's going to be like superman you get a chance to be a superhero you can do great things, you know, selfless kind of stuff. Yeah. Not, not this guy. Oh, kind of no. goes a different way. Yeah, which I was, I didn't, you know, I, I, I have to say that surprised the heck out of me because I hadn't seen that kind of that superhero story very much. You know, that's true, though. You know, uh, I hadn't seen the pre, that was the pre uh, injustice. Superman, ah, yeah. It's like we, that. You can definitely tell that story influenced certain people and uh, one filmmaker specifically who stole from that book. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it does not take you on a journey that you're expecting. And that's the brilliance of of uh, Joe Hill. He he kind of gets you all uh, feeling comfortable and then he just kicks you right in the gut, <laughs> you know, and, and in, a, in an amazing way, it's stuck with people. That's why that one shot. Uh, did so well and got the the book of the year nom uh, Eisner nom and everything like that uh, is I think there's something in there that affected people heavily especially people that were used to reading comic books uh, yeah oh yeah uh, it takes you on a journey huh well it, it goes where I didn't expect and yes <laughs> that's that's so. what I I like because you know I I read a lot of comics in my day and I have uh, gotten expectations as to where things are going to go. Yeah. This did not follow those expectations. And more than, I am not going to say any more because. Uh, yeah. If you, <laughs> it's still available if people want to uh, read it. it. It is something else. So uh, uh, it's, it's available on Comixology and I think still through IDW and a lot of comic book stores still have the hardcover there. So. Yeah. I, uh, I, I think about it, I get chills. 
<laughs> yeah, it's hard to – you can't tell people about it without giving it away, right? See, that's so. the trick. I, I'm afraid to say any more than what I've already said because there's – I don't. I, I am not for giving spoilers. I want people to enjoy the book like I did. Awesome. But on the other hand, I want people to pick up the book, and the, the only way to do that is to tease a little and tell people what's in it. Because wow, it's God. That was a book that really shook me up. I have to say, it was really, really well done. I think your art really helped with that too. I think that was really honored. Cool. Honored. Yeah. Yeah. Joe and Jason C.R. Morella's writing partner just gave me a lot to work with. And Joe gives me a lot of room to kind of tell the story. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I get to play with the characters a lot compared to say, if I was like drawing Batman or something. So Joe trusts me enough to really work around the story, add, subtract panels, change camera movements, evolve the characters so I can nuance their expressions and, for whatever reason, we had one hell of a team that kind of came together for that one moment. Uh, uh, the writing, the, the uh, uh, at least my art, uh, uh, and uh, Nelson Daniel, who, who colored it. And that was our first miniseries together. And he went on to uh, get several Eisners and uh, multiple Eisner nods uh, for both books we've done, books he's done with Gabe Rodriguez. So he was a super talent waiting too. So it was just one of those books where you kind of had lightning in the bottle. I didn't, and it, it kind of revitalized my career because I was just so burnt out, but to do something so potent and to play with characters in that way that you normally don't get to do when I'm working on, again, aliens or a mainstream book or, or hell, even a dark horse book. Lots of times you just don't get that room to be a creator and a storyteller uh, dynamically uh, and, and leave your imprint on the story, uh, uh, you know, as an archive of, of what you brought uh, to the story. Um, and I think the cape was just one of those that just, it was firing an all cylinder. Everything just kind of came together perfectly. And we made something that I think, uh, if people give it a chance, I don't think I've met many people that didn't have something profound to say about it after reading it. Because I, I I want so badly to spoil it. It is just it just to this day. If people ask me, well, I don't know if I want to read superhero comics. Have you read the Cape? Yeah. What's that about? I said, well, believe me, you 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 will have a different experience if you. <laughs> oh, so great. Yeah, well, there you go, man. I'm glad you brought it up. It's uh, it's one of the the big titles in my life that. Like if my Mount Rushmore, my 23 year career, it's definitely probably first and foremost. It, it's tremendous. It, it really is. I, I, I want so badly to talk about it. <laughs> I will let that go. We'll get, we'll talk about this book. Is what we'll do. Sure, mm-hmm. sure, sure. Happy to go anywhere, man. Okay. So Moonshine Bigfoot. I, yes. I do have to say uh, your role in this is you're not necessarily the artist, right? You're you. What do you do in this book? Well, um, one of the, I, I co-created it with uh, the writer, who's also a, uh, an actor and screenwriter, uh, and uh, I'm inker uh, on it too. So Steve Ellis, uh, uh, a buddy of mine who's a cartoonist and Magic the Gathering painter, he used to do Lobo. He was looking to get back into comic books, but he he's a little bit of a cartoonist, uh, and I've inked people before in my career, Carlo Barbary and a handful of people here and there. Had a lot of fun doing it, but, you know, I'm known for penciling and inking my own stuff. Uh, But 
something about what, when I was developing this IP with the writer, it needed a fun tone that I don't think my stuff necessarily has anymore. I've drawn too many of the capes and Hellboy, you know, fighting monsters of blood and guts and, and aliens and things like that. A lot of morose, intense, bloody, blood and gore stories. Uh, I think I was just, I don't know why it came to me. I was like, I'd like to see Steve try this and then me ink over it. And somehow our styles kind of work like peanut butter and jelly. I'm very heavy handed, intense, fully rendered art. And he's really, you know, very animated, you know, and a little cartoony and really uh, dynamic in that way and kind of free flowing. And uh, something happened with me inking it and uh, him drawing it. It, it, it creates this really fun kind of 3D cartoon is the best way to describe it. And it worked perfect for perfectly for this IP. Steve Ellis is a goofball, which is perfect for this book. And uh, again, somewhere in between, we just become our own unique kind of fun cartooning style that I think uh, uh, if anybody sees the artwork, we're bringing, we're bringing the noise on it. it, it I think the book looks really good. Not only is it a fun, funny story that with endearing characters, uh, uh, you've got explosive artwork that will rival, I guarantee, any book on the shelves, mainstream or not. I gotta ask though, Moons, <laughs> Moonshine and Bigfoot. How, where did how, where did that come from? How did you do that? How did you put those together? So uh, the writer and I, and he's never written a comic book before, though. He's a huge comic book fan, so we're just talking comics. He's, again, an actor and a, a screenwriter. So uh, regardless, uh, uh, we were on a road trip coming back from a convention and driving through the Rocky Mountains in the middle of the night trying to stay awake by kind of bitching about Hollywood. And we're mocking how they just keep remaking, like, Dukes of Hazard 7. And it's just the same crap again and again and again and again, just with nicer film technologies. And, uh, and they have cell phones now or something stupid. And uh, uh, I eventually, you know, just, just spit out it. If you're going to remake the Dukes of Hazard, make it fun and make it star like Bigfoot or something is driving the car. And the next thing you know, we're, we built this. It took about six months, but we think we built one of the most unique worlds you will ever see and where uh, uh, a Bigfoot, we basically pay homage to Superman. Bigfoot gets put on a logging truck during a forest fire while the Bigfoot homes are being burnt down. Parents are dying. Logging truck takes baby Bigfoot all the way to the Georgia Alabama border. He falls out, is found by a pair of childless, kindly moonshiners and they raise him as their own. And that's basically the, uh, inciting incident of the book and then he's just a good old boy running the family moonshine business and uh, uh thanks to his hippie girlfriend he accidentally creates uh moonshine that's going to have uh, uh international worldwide consequences that get the illuminati or at least our version of the uh illuminati uh involved in after him. and the rest is just everything in between is just a loving satire of uh, 1980 Americana when, you know, TV was a little bit more innocent and uh, kind of high concept and just fun. You know, I'm an old man. I'm, I think I'm like 85 or something now. So, uh, I, when I was a kid, 
in the 70s and you know from about 75 to 85 the nostalgia of the first wave of really an, uh, Japanese anime hitting America uh, fun show shows you didn't really think about that like I didn't know what the hell the Dixie flag was and all the garbage that comes uh, with that history all I did was like hot rods running around and the, the good old boys getting away from the bumbling cops and I miss entertainment where it didn't come with just this heavy weight of social geopolitical struggles of just bearing down on everybody in, in these serious, serious, serious books. I miss reading things like Gru and, you know, Ambush Book and these things that used to just make me laugh. And uh, I, so I, I paused what, my serious opus that I'm doing right now. That's like 450 pages and image image like this immediately they picked it up on a concept drawing and and uh, a write-up and uh, now we're we're building the damn thing and hoping people take a chance on us because I think I think we got a really unique story and and we're filling a hole a much needed hole in the comic books medium and that's true comedy and comedy in a sense where the characters are endearing and you want to see them win but they're also making you laugh every single page. And I think that's not very common or it's not pulled off very common in the comics medium anymore. Everything's so heavy handed or built for one liners, you know, James Gunn style and where I want to actually do a comedy where you enjoy the venture like Ghostbusters or something. Mm -hmm. you, you just, you want to see the characters win, but they're making you laugh the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's Moonshine Bigfoot uh, with a giant overview, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Now, important thing we got to say, there's a Kickstarter going on for this Gross. right now. And it's going to end on Saturday, April 29 at 10.37 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Yes, a sir. Of couple of important things we need to mention. This funded on day one, so congratulations for that. Thank you. And then you also got a project we love from Kickstarter. Uh, as we're talking, you're almost at 200 backers, and you are almost three times your original goal. So <laughs> there's something going on here. That's something really special. So congratulations on all that. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, we're very fortunate. Uh, we, we got a little ways to go if we're going to be able to make living wages while making this book, but it's comics. We're making it anyways. It'd be nice uh, if we could make a few more shekels. But uh, – uh, yes, uh, we're very, very fortunate. Uh, while I was at C2E2, uh, I was fortunate enough to be a guest. That's where we launched this campaign. We funded in 11 hours. Uh, we're doing free commissions for backers at the time, and it, it just caught fire. I think we have lightning in a bottle. Uh, I, I haven't seen a negative reaction from it yet, and I, I challenge everybody to go watch the trailer on our Kickstarter. We animated it. We have a, a beautiful VO actor doing old Wayland's jetting narrations during our, our uh, hot rod race. I think people like, in fact, we even released a hip hop song. One of my rapper friends uh, made for it. So I released that quick cut film on my social media today as well. So just go watch the trailer. That's all I ask of people. I guarantee we're going to, we're going to make you feel something with it. And uh, another thing I want to say about the Kickstarter, I, I, I understand it's taking a chance on us. And although I think my library speaks to the quality of work I do, uh, uh, I know it's still taking a chance on an indie creator and, and 
what we're trying to do because we have such uh, oh, just, I mean, the talent we have in this book is ridiculous. Steve Ellis, he's done some of the most famous Magic the Gathering card paintings ever, along with Lobo and a million other books, Silencers, a bunch of books with Fred Van Lente, High, High Moon for DC and all these things like that. He's been doing it for 32 years. I'm 23 years, and I've, I don't know if there's anything I haven't drawn at this point, Wayne. Um, and uh, uh, Nelson Daniel, who gets nominated for the best colors award damn near every other year. Uh, uh, we've been working together for 13 years on including the cape, which uh, you say in Wildly Yonder, and uh, the capes, everything in between, basically everything but Hellboy, basically done with him. Uh, I just think we have uh, a substantial amount of talent on this book, and we're all passionate about how special this IP is. And we know you're taking a chance on us. So to digress, I know I'm wordy. Apologies. I'm a little drunk on Dayquil, everybody. I'm getting over a cold, but uh, <laughs> that's going to be my excuse. But to re- we have a lot of fun tiers. Uh, a lot of fun ones already went, but we we're coming up with new stuff. We have fun merch like keychains, which oddly are selling well and our beer coasters are selling like wildfires. So we got, Really fun things, original, the cheapest way to ever own original art from me, uh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but my point being is, if you're taking a chance on us, the way we're rewarding that is because we have legacies, we have a lot of books under our names. We're, we had four stretch goals. We've already reached our first four stretch goals, fortunately. And what that unlocked, each tier unlocked books, free PDF downloads of actual comic books. Uh, and they're not just tripe. Uh, you get 13 books, actually. And uh, uh, literally 13 bucks for any level of backing on this. Any and all backers, the second this campaign ends, you get to download these 13 books, including uh, Temple Smith's. Temple, we got a Temple Smith book in there. We got an Ashley Wood book in there. We got my completely sold out, out of print, most famous cover process sketchbook is now free to download. We got the first volume of High Moon, Steve Ellis's famous DC book that's out of print. Full download. Uh, uh, Claire Meath, uh, my up and coming studio mate who just had a super successful book. Her sketchbooks are completely sold out. Uh, we get the first four volumes on there for free. Um, and many others. We got a Kaiju series. So we're trying to reward people. We know you're taking a chance on us. So we're taking books from our library and you get, you get to own them for free at the end of this campaign. So even if our book sucks, you at least get 13. There's going to be some gem in there for you. We're hoping. Uh, but uh, that, other than that, we got a lot of other things from signed books, posters, yada, yada, yada. I hope people check it out because I, I really think we have lightning in a bottle here and image already picked it up is getting behind it. If we can just get a little bit of funding, uh, myself and my team can pay our mortgage for a few months while we uh, produce what we think is going to be one of the greatest comedies this industry's ever seen. Well, if you have any questions, I encourage people to go to the Kickstarter page because if you go there, you've got several pages of the artwork under the heading of interiors. And wow, that is some nice artwork. I have to say just, just terrific. There's at least four pages. I think there's double page spread in there. And stuff. Yeah. Wow, it is really sparkling. I have to say, it, it's, it's beautiful, beautiful art. Very, very well done. And then 
And Chris, you get the concept art. You get to see some of the characters. But let's talk a few minutes about the characters. Of sure. Time. Because they're, that's some of the stuff I find most interesting. Moonshine Bigfoot is the, the main guy, and he's listed as a hero in there. Do you want to talk about him a little bit? Well, yeah, sure. He's just a uh, good old boy. He's just growing up in the family business and trying to uh, outsmart the cops while he delivers his moonshine to Uncle Pineapple, a resident black market uh, uh, representative. And he's a disgraced... He quickly becoming my favorite character, but I'll, I'll do Bigfoot first. He, he's just a good old boy. He has a good old hippie girlfriend. They're in love and he's just trying to do his job and, and, uh, be left alone. Of course, uh, you know, that's not going to happen because the Illuminati's coming after him and, and, uh, Sheriff Justice and, and a rival moonshiner that's trying to outrace him and he can never just have a relaxed day. Uh, uh, and one of the fun things I think we've made about Bigfoot in this story is uh, everyone around him in this world is a whack job, uh, basically a walking conspiracy. But Bigfoot basically is less similar to, uh, let's say, Scully from X-Files, where he's a skeptic about everything. So he's just like, I don't know about that. You know, he doesn't believe in the Illuminati that's coming after him or anything. He's just uh, a down to earth, good old boy. Uh, trying to live his life. And, okay. uh, Let me read that. One of the things I want to read, that if you go again, this is all on the Kickstarter page. There's a wonderful sentence I really like in there. It says, BF, and that must be the, it's the nickname, BF has been outwitting a variety of local buffoons for years, but he's about to learn that not all his problems can be solved with a totally awesome car jump. <laughs> I like that. That's a great sentence right there. So it, it, it sounds like he's going to be a very fun character as, as that this is all set around. Yeah, oh, thank you. I think so. Again, I think we just created a magical world from the the, the Bigfoot hunters to the disgraced uh, former uh, child morning show star and his a talking puppet. Uh, the our version of Illuminati is called Big Level, and we are we're really happy with what we came up for the Illuminati uh, and how they come, how and why they come after him. Uh, we got a fun chupacabra in it that has his own kind of storyline that comes together at the end. A uh, Bigfoot, his girlfriend is becoming a, an amazingly uh, deep character and, and how important she is in the story. And she's a hippie that uh, 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 she's actually the the reason that the moon, his moonshine still got infected with uh, uh, a psilocybin mushrooms, uh, magic mushrooms to everybody. And, and, uh, she, she actually, she's this hot hippie girl that loves Bigfoot. Um, she actually supports herself by selling pictures of her feet in the backs of catalogs back in 1980. <laughs> so, uh, she was out one night, uh, blessing her sweaty socks in the moonlight during whatever, you know, hippie, ceremony and her mushrooms fell out of her bag all over the still and they grew into the moonshine still and unbeknownst to bigfoot he brewed some moonshine that's going to change the world because they if you take a drink of this uh it's going to change the way you see the world and how you see it and uh the illuminati catches wind of that and they can't they can't have people not listening to propaganda and everything. So Bigfoot wow. unknowingly gets involved in a world conspiracy. 
I have to say, I, I, if I could try for years, and I'd never come up with some of the stuff <laughs> that you have for this book. I'd never do. Now, i got to get you to talk about A-B-F-A-C-H. Yeah, ABFAC. That's American Bigfoot Aliens and Cryptid Hunters. And honestly, uh, the patch I drew for them, their little uh, ABFAC patch, which we've made into stickers and uh, T-shirt, uh, eventually we may actually make them into patches, too. Uh, really smitten with the design that we came up for it. Really simple, fun design of Bigfoot being abducted by an alien. Um, it call, harkens on some, I had to research actual what these, these Bigfoot hunter patches look like and kind of made my own, but they're, they're all, they're a menagerie of dudes from an ex NASA scientist to a Mississippi redneck named Boover and uh, to an insecure guy uh, that actually figures stuff out but is too afraid to say anything. They're, 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 they, this hodgepodge group, they're all people that have witnessed Bigfoot at some time in their life and became obsessed with them. Bigfoot's not threatened by him. In fact, he, he passes time by screwing with them a little bit. Uh, like he gets the local neighbor kid to uh, put on, like strap on big feet, Bigfoot, like, <laughs> shoes to his feet and pays him in Slim Jims. So this little eight-year-old kid's walking around the forest eating Slim Jims, pretending to be Bigfoot. And these idiots are chasing the trails and stuff like that. And uh, they get sucked up into uh, Bigfoot's conspiracy in the beginning of it, too. Uh, there are, there are uh, uh, you know, fun comic relief clownish people, but we'll make sure they have hearts of gold so their story works out, too. I love what it says on the description on the website and the Kickstarter page. It says, cryptozoologically obsessed, hapless Bigfoot hunters bent on finding the legendary creature. Often used as entertainment by moonshine Bigfoot, Abfact remains as undaunted as they are incapable. There you go. They're never going to quit, but they're never going to get them. <laughs> so, yeah. Where, where does all this take place, by the way? Uh, this is the southern border of uh, Georgia and Alabama. That's where the the truck that the Bigfoot parents put. Uh, I don't know if I said this, but they we pay homage to kind of all star Superman, uh, uh, Moonshine Bigfoot. Uh, it, the story starts off the forest is on fire, and you can see that on the pages uh, here. Not the first page, forest is on fire. That's the Pacific Northwest. Bigfoot's parents know. Uh, their world's coming to an end, so they quickly put a a, a blanket bundled baby bug Bigfoot on the back of a uh, uh, old logging truck that barely escapes the fire. He travels across the U.S. Uh, eating chips and picking his nose and hits a bump right on the border of Alabama and Georgia. Baby Bigfoot falls out into the side of the road, and uh, uh, a kindly, loving, childless moonshine couple find them and raise them as their own so we're we're trying to pay homage to things like superman and and a lot of the pop culture that brought us joy as a kid and we put this in about 1981 because you know when i was growing up i'm i'm an old man uh 75 to 85 ish there's just this magical era of like entertainment on tv you had the first influx of japanese animation you had high concept goofball kind of innocent shows like Knight Rider and, and uh, 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 Smokey and the Bandit and uh, obviously Dukes of Hazard and all these things that 
you know, back then, think the world was a little more simple and it was a lot more easy to get lost in these dumb little things that you got in and out of. And I miss enjoying that kind of nostalgic Americana that, that I think modern entertainment is kind of lost. Just nobody wants to just take you on a fun, laughable ride anymore. Everybody wants to change your life and write, pretend they're Alan Moore and write the most heavy handed story with social injustice, just everything, a geopolitical struggles. And every, I, I get exhausted and I miss just laughing. And I think I that's what adventure. the sport is. I miss well, adventure. That's, that's, that's what I, I, I yeah. That's the fun thing is if you have a funny endearing cast, you can put them on an adventure and you actually mm-hmm. want to go on this adventure rather than just be some like voyeur. Okay. What's going to happen to this dark, hero now that's really sad and morose you know and i want to take them on an adventure where the whole way they're laughing but rooting for everybody the good guys the bad guys they just want to see everybody kind of clash together because uh, the comedy uh happens then you know uh uh you know i don't know i i just miss i did a i did a comedy in in I think it was 2005 with Sean Murphy. It was called Outer Orbit. And when I was discussing a possible movie license for it here not too long ago, uh, I just started remembering how much fun I had making that book. I mean, it was a lot of work. And of course, there's always tension in production. But it, it was fun. Every single page, we laughed and laughed and just had so much fun. And the book reads like it. And people responded to that. So I put my other project on the side and I went, you grabbed both ankles and jumped into this one because every time I was drawing Bigfoot, I was literally laughing. And mm-hmm. the story started writing itself. Once we kind of created this world, it just got richer and richer and richer. And it's a little deceiving. It's a lot more deep than what we're showing you with goofball jumps and fishermen diving in the water and Bigfoot. It's a good, fun mask over what I would say is a fun adventure story and a coming of age for Bigfoot uh, since uh, I, I don't know. Well, let me tell you a quick story. Cause I read a comic that this reminds me a little of a long time ago. It was called Carter country and it was about aliens going into the backwoods uh, in the South. And the, the funniest thing about it though, the one made, the part that made me laugh out loud, the, the, they, they had a contest every year where they used to fling, tractors they had this thing with this this device that they could take and fling a tractor and they would see who'd fling it the heart the farthest and they had the spaceship was coming in at them and all of a sudden the the the, the captain's talking to some of this kind of alien captain talk and they say uh, captain look at the screen and look at the screen here comes this great big tractor right at them I laughed right out <laughs> loud because here come the, they had been setting, they set us all up for that. And we didn't have to see them do it. All, all we could do is see the screen and here comes this tractor flying in through. The air. <laughs> off like, it. That's great. I laughed right out loud. I think the stuff like that, I think is fun. I, you're right. The comics don't do that very much anymore. And I, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing how this comes out. It's going to be great fun. Oh, thanks man. I just uh, appreciate people like you giving us voice because Again, we're a hundred percent independent here, and we're we're self funding. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're all sticking our necks out for this book, and I think we're bringing something that is truly unique. 
to the comic book medium, uh, or at least you haven't seen a long time. And that's just having fun, but at a very high thoughtful level in the sense that our production, we're not just going for that's what she said type of jokes. We're trying to build to your point to make that tractor flying by pay off. You got to set it up. You got to build it and then let it marinate and come back and, and pull the trigger. And we do that within the confines of a very, uh, well laid out 100 page, you know, action adventure story. So, uh, uh, man, I just want people, I want people to see the trailer. I want people to listen to we, my, my rapper friend just made, uh, this amazing hip hop track, which I just released on my social media today, uh, for moonshine, Bigfoot did it for free. I just, there's, I think there's something magical about this property. It feels like lightning in a bottle image has gotten a hundred percent behind it. Uh, and all we need is a little bit of funding so we can do this without having to take crappy side jobs all the time. <laughs> okay. Well, you mentioned the social media. How do people follow you on social media? So, uh, on Instagram, I'm space friend underscore Z, uh, on Facebook, just, just type in my name. That's where I'm most popular, unfortunately, is Facebook, but it's really easy to find me on there. Uh, I have several sites, uh, uh, within Facebook, uh, and that's about it for social media. I'm on DeviantArt, but that's tumbleweeds nowadays. And then, uh, most importantly is if people want to, uh, uh, see our, our Kickstarter, all they have to go to is www.inked.pub slash moonshine Bigfoot, or just go to uh, Kickstarter type in moonshine Bigfoot. We're under projects. We love Kickstarter has been wonderful to us. Uh, so it's really searchable. And uh, at the very least, just watch that trailer. I think you'll get a giggle out of it. And again, I can't stress that you get 13 books for any level of backing. Any level of backing, and uh, they're not chump books. There, there's some good stuff there. So we try to make it so it isn't uh, a dangerous gamble, shall we say, to give us a few shekels. Uh -huh. Now let's let's once again say the project will uh, be funded if it reaches its goal by Saturday, April 29 at 10:37 Eastern Daylight Time in the evening. And just because they met their goal doesn't mean that you shouldn't back it because there's all kinds of good things to go on. I always say when you get all these extra uh, stretch goals and things, now's the time to jump on and get all the stuff because you're not only going to get the book, you're going to get all the wonderful stuff that goes with it. So don't now's the time to get there. Don't wait until Saturday night. Be <laughs> out there and back it right now so you don't forget about it and say, oops, I meant to do that. Uh, don't do that. Uh, give Zach here a, a good boost when he goes in because Kickstarter people keep re-clicking and clicking and, and refreshing the screen to see if anybody's <laughs> backed it. And we want to make sure that if he does that, he gets actually some, some movement going up and up. So we want to be sure to back it. So Help me sleep for a few more <laughs> nights before this campaign ends. But uh, <laughs> we are fully funded. But to your point, that doesn't mean that uh, – uh, I mean, I, I got to pay a colorist. Uh, Steve and I have to have somewhat a little bit of money so we can pay our mortgages while we draw this, things like that. But I also like to stress we, we don't we don't take your people's kindness and, and them putting their money towards our, our, our dream project here lightly. And that's why we try to reward you so heavily. And we, we just dropped new merch. Our beer coasters are oddly selling great. We got T-shirts, 
keychains just hit today and they're selling great. So we got a lot of fun merch uh, that that's pretty inexpensive. Uh, we got tiers, again, the cheapest way to ever get a piece of original art from me. And you get two pieces of art every page. A pencils from Steve Ellis, inks from me. We got sketch covers. We got posters. We got all sorts of fun stuff still. Or you can just get the darn books uh, for pretty cheap. and Or get them all signed by the creative crew. And that even includes the Chilean Nelson Daniel, which... I think there's only about five books on earth that have both our signatures on it. So you get some pretty cool rare stuff. Now, is this the whole 100-page story? Yes, it'll be four four issues of about 20, 24 to 26 pages coming out uh, through Image starting in February. We're in production literally right now. We just started uh, uh, doing covers, and obviously you saw the first four pages of the interiors. And uh, uh, yeah. So February is when it comes out, uh, and we're just going into production the second this is done. Actually, we're in production right now, except we're doing PR and stuff and being very fortunate. People like you, Wayne, are giving us the time of day because we're honored you do that. So this, is, uh, this isn't this is just the first issue of the four, right? This is the whole... This is story. all four issues, if you back okay. us, yes. Okay, very good, very good. That's good to know because that it's... I, I like to have a whole story. Me too. <laughs> if I get yep. the chance, that'll be something great. Now, uh, okay, now you've got the first story. To, if this does really well and looks like you're going to do very well, are there other Moonshine Bigfoot stories in your future? Well, indeed, sir. We uh, are having so much fun, we can't help but uh, create more adventures of uh, Bigfoot and his crew of misfits uh, going around the world because everybody needs a, a uh, uh, it won't be moonshine, obviously, every time, but our sequel, and I will say the title of the sequel, it takes place in Canada, so it's called Canada Ball Run. And, <laughs> yeah, people that know, know. And mm-hmm. uh, we're having fun. He's going to have to uh, uh, run black, black market maple syrup. So we try to keep it fun. We try to keep it in new locales. We'll probably have them come to the Rocky Mountains and do some running, uh, go international. And as we, we brought in some other fun cryptids uh, throughout this, you know, we have uh, uh, we have another cryptid in this series. But, you know, as he goes along his ventures, he's going to meet other crazy cryptids around the world, you know, as he goes to Siberia and Canada. He'll probably meet the New Jersey Devil and things like that. So yes, we we really feel we have something with legs because the character and the the character and characters and the feel of the universe that we built, you can really put them in almost any location. And in 1981 world, you know, there's no cell phones or anything. It's a really good time to just make it hot rods and innocently running uh, uh, contraband from the law. And we'll keep it fun. It's not gonna. He's not running fentanyl or something like that it's maple no. syrup or you know whatever yeah. but regardless there will always be heavy consequences with this supposedly you know uh, uh benign thing that he's running we used the one word that i was going to use to describe this and that's fun and it sounds like it's going to be a great fun comic i can't wait to see it now you've alluded a couple times uh during our talk there's another project you're working on is, is that something you can tell us a little bit about, or is that something we have to, to kind of... I've advertised that it's called Dead Earth Pioneers. I did a, 
uh, one of my most successful series ever was called Wild Blue Yonder. And I did it with uh, ex-Marvel uh, editor Mike Rach, who's just professional writer now and a professor. Uh, that was my last indie series that I did that I funded on Kickstarter. It caught wildfire, did better than anything I've ever done, been part of in my career. Uh, uh, so after I finished the last Hellboy, Mike and I decided to do another series and, uh, it's called dead earth pioneers. The problem is it's 450 pages and it's my opus and I'm beyond ecstatic about it. It's an amazing book and world and uh, magnetic press is already, we haven't signed the contract, but we'll be in business with them. So this, it's going to be an oversized European style book and they're going to come out, uh, in 50 page volumes and then they'll be collected in 150 page like you know collections and there'll be three of those for oh, 450 pages I i'm a little ways into it but mm -hmm. uh oh sorry go go no i was gonna say i love magnetic press that's one of my favorite companies because they do all kinds of you know you're talking about how we want to see something a little different and magnetic always does I love their books because they are something different. They, they'll often bring European stories over here, and and I love to read them. And so I, your Moonshine Bigfoot's going to be a perfect fit for that. I'm looking forward to that. Well, Moonshine's actually going to be on Image. I did two things. I'm longtime friends with Mike Kennedy, who owns and runs Magnetic, and they are a phenomenal company because they do bring in – oversized hardcovers of European books, books, et cetera. But they just hired me this last summer to uh, design, and I did the uh, prologue to their first create, I can't even talk, creator-owned series uh, called uh, Black Box. I did the concept work and the prologue for it. It's something crazy, like 22 artists, 200 pages, I don't even know. Uh, and it's an amazing, amazing kind of, I'd say in the vein of Philip K. Dick sci-fi. It's really good. And that's going to be their first creator own. And then after I finish Moonshine Bigfoot, I'll be doing Dead Earth Pioneers. And that will be through Magnetic. And again, oversized. And to your point, you're not going to find a prettier book than a Magnetic Press book. It's, it's stunning. So I'm really excited about that as well. Good story. But like Wild Blue Yonder, it's, it's more... Uh, uh, heavy-handed blood and guts, uh, coming-of-age story, another story about a young girl, or young woman, rather, in this story, a little older than our last, uh, than Wild Blue Yonder. But uh, I don't know. We're good at doing that kind of heavy-handed Miyazaki stories with Mike Rach and I. Nelson Daniel will be with me. So that'll be right after Moonshine Bigfoot. I go into production on that. Are you going to kickstart that, uh, that book as well? Yes, uh, but it's going to be run through Magnetic Press that time. Uh, oh, gotcha. Okay. So it'll be nice because I, the reason I sound like crap is I have a cold between cons traveling and being old and weary, uh, finally caught up to me. And I really appreciate you letting me delay this a day because I sounded so bad yesterday. It was disgusting and I, every viewer would be disgusted with me. So thank you for letting me have a day to, to get my uh, constitution back. And so I don't sound like a snot monster. Well, it's been great talking with you, and I have to say, I'm really excited about all your projects. I'm going to be, I'm going to back Moonshine Bigfoot, and I think everybody else will too. And I think we're going to look forward to the materials you got from Magnetic Press because I really enjoy them as well. So you're doing all kinds of great stuff, and I, I am really looking forward to the future you got going, Zach. I think you're just getting started. 
honored, sir. Yeah, this is me going full bore into owning my own IP rather than making other people rich for the first 23 years of my career. So I, anybody who takes a chance on me, I love you forever. And I will, I will not let you down. I, we are bringing fire. We're going to make you laugh. And then after moonshine, Bigfoot makes you laugh. We'll, uh, uh, take you on the craziest adventure you've ever seen with uh, Dead Earth Pioneers. You have my word. Moonshine Bigfoot, the greatest cryptozoological action adventure comedy of all time. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. It's always fun to catch up with Caleb Palmquist, creator of such wonderful things as the new thing coming that's just out of the Knight and the Lion, a sword, a swords of Arthur story, and and other good things. That's been a little bit since we talked. Caleb, how you doing? I'm doing great, Wayne. Good, good. It's uh, I guess let's focus on this first, and then we'll get to catch up on the other uh, projects that you've been up to. The Knight and the Lion, a Sword of Arthur story. I I always want to say sword. It's Swords of (laughs) Arthur story. And it's described as a fresh take on a classic Arthurian legend from the creator of Unicorn Vampire Hunter. (laughs) So uh, talk about the Knight and the Lion. Where did the uh, uh, story come from? So um, this is a story about a Knight of the Round Table. And it's about his fall from grace and then kind of reclaiming his honor. And um, he does that by making friends with a lion and then sort of going on many brave chivalrous adventures with that lion. Um, And uh, the idea for the story came from an actual 13th century Arthurian romance. This is really an adaptation. Um of a very old story um, that I read when I was in college. And actually, um, I studied medieval literature in college. And this was one of the stories that really made me fall in love with King Arthur stories. Um, And uh, so ever since then, I've really wanted to adapt it into a comic book. Um, And so here we are. It's amazing to me because uh, it's very... Well, it, it's an interesting mix of fantasy and romance to me. And I have to say, I'm not much for those. <laughs> but this one I really liked. Uh, it, it's it's really intriguing how this works. Now, um, uh, well, how do you pronounce the knight's name? Spelled Y-V-A-I-N. Evane? Uh, yeah, you could pronounce it Evane or Yvain. Uh Either way, I've heard it pronounced either way. Okay. 
that's kind of interesting because it's uh, so. But this is based on a, on a genuine legend. You're saying? Oh yeah, this is based on um, a story that was written in the 13th century um, by a guy named Christian of Troy. Um, and, uh, the character Yvain has also been featured in many other King Arthur stories. He's, uh, he is often part of the, uh, Knights of the Round Table in different iterations of the legend. Okay. So he's, uh, he's been around for quite a bit then. Uh, when, when was King Arthur's reign, by the way? Do you remember? Ha! Well... That's a good question. So King Arthur may or may not have been a real person. There are documents that talk about King Arthur going back um, way longer ago than the 13th century. And um, so it's in terms of when did the potentially real King Arthur reign? I'm not I'm not sure if he was real. He probably reigned more like in the 5th or 6th centuries, but that could be like completely off base too. You know, it, he's he's one of these characters that possibly was a real person, but more likely the stories were based on a number of different kings that kind of got mushed together um, into a legend. Hmm. I always assumed he had lived, but I kind of thought there was some embell- embellishment going on. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like many characters from from that long ago, you know, there's uh, like uh, another good example of that, I think, is like Ragnar Lothbrok, who may or may not have been a real person. um, And some of the characters who are affiliated with Ragnar, like his sons, uh, there's some evidence that those people were real people. But whether or not he was unclear. you know, so it's like, um, it's, uh, there, there's a fuzzy line between what's real history and what's a legend. It's funny because he's a Viking, as I remember. I, I watched a TV show based on him. Yeah. Yep. And I, I was surprised when they actually, well, I don't, I don't know if I should spoil this or not, but let's just say he doesn't, uh, he's not a player in the entire story on the TV show, shall we say. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. Uh, so I'm kind of interested with that. I like these kinds of stories You, in the sense that you get an idea as to what people were thinking back in that time. You know, they um, were interested in, in fantasy and they were interested in... Uh, I, I I doubt there were real dragons at that time, but uh, I'm just sort of intrigued as to why people were interested in dragons at that time. I just find that kind of interesting. That's a that's a very good question, and I don't know. Um, I think that um, you know, one thing that people were probably interested in that time is you know, sort of like tales of daring do. Like we're talking about um, you know these knights who are larger than life figures who um, sort of abide by this code of chivalry in which they have to prove themselves. And they have to, you know, do these brave deeds to stay relevant. And, you know, there's also like something that you have to think about and consider when you're thinking about um, 
these kinds of stories that were told way back then is that they were often commissioned for royalty or nobles. So basically you'd have like a really rich guy um, and he would have essentially pay for an artist to live, um, you know, on his estate and write stories or poems or whatever. And then, you know, they'd be performed. And so um, the context in which people read these um, is a little bit different, um, certainly than, than the way we experience those kinds of stories now. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always fascinated by because th- what we know for sure was that they often uh, they became patrons of certain composers. And they would um, write music and stuff like that for people. And a lot of oh, the yeah. classical music we had from that era is because of those patrons. Yeah. Because they paid for it. But uh, I, I'm just sort of curious. Though. I, I hate to be asking all behind-the-scenes stuff. But or is this set in, in England? Yeah. Okay. The reason I asked is I don't remember there being lions in England. <laughs> so I'm puzzling <laughs> well, over that. That's uh that's very true. Um <laughs> the so yeah, I mean ultimately what this story is based on is not a historical narrative, right? Because there's dragons, there's even if there were lions, they probably wouldn't have uh, you know, uh been loyal companions of knights. Right. Um and uh and so this story has a lot of fantastical elements. It's got dragons, it's got ogres, it's got demons and um and it's really based on on you know those stories that were that were being told at that time mm-hmm. now people get on to because I get so in- intrigued by the story and the and the background and stuff that I don't mention this uh project will be found if reaches its goal by what date oh sure um April thirtieth is when the project ends uh and um we uh have yeah we're as of this recording which is 2 days into the into the project we're over halfway funded so i'm sure that uh that we'll be cruising right along and uh mm-hmm. but yeah if you haven't checked out the project yet april 30th is when it ends on kickstarter um so definitely go to the page and check it out and see if it's something you might be interested in what time does it end uh I think it ends on April 30th at midnight, a uh, midnight Pacific time, I should say. Okay, that, that's good to know because that uh, some people wait until the last second to, to get in there and, and back projects. I haven't backed it yet, but I will because I'm going to uh, get this stuff. But uh, I'm just so intrigued by uh, you and I were talking before we started to record about the fact that the coloring resembles to me. Uh, some of your other projects, uh, like Unicorn Vampire Hunter and things like that, and you were saying to me that the art is, and I, and I noticed it, that the art is very different. That the very first few pages is one style of art, and then it moves into a more looks like more anime style. That it is, and this is a, as I see on here, is supposed to be a eighty-two page graphic novel, right? Right. So. Um, the reason for the change in art style is uh, actually that this story was co-created by me and um, and a collaborator of mine, Jonathan Fisher, who's a very talented artist. 
Um, but he's also someone who um, has a, uh, a full-time career and he uh, didn't and doesn't have time to draw a full graphic novel. Um, but he, he wanted to be involved um, and he's a very talented artist. So he drew the prologue story and then our main artist, Kay Woolheiser, drew uh the rest of the story so she draws the majority of the story and then there's a prologue drawn by jonathan fisher um and then Kay went ahead and colored the prologue as well and we wanted to do that so that the the whole story would feel a little more cohesive okay all right uh i just went ahead and backed it i wanted to make sure i, I didn't get through it without backing the good stuff um well thank you very much it's very good and that's going to push you up a little bit i, I went for the physical mm-hmm. copy i don't normally get physical copies these days i tend to get the uh digital stuff because my stack of reading is as tall as i am and i can <laughs> n- never quite catch up so i, I tend to digital because you have more room on my machine than i have on in my room <laughs> Sure. So it's good. So, so I'm just so just fascinated about this. It starts out in a way that's different than many of these stories. Normally, the knight is somebody who's off there, you know, swuckling, buckling that swash and out to having adventures and stuff. But this guy is actually married at the beginning. And yes. the, the wife is looking out on a rainy night and she turns and looks at us, basically. In other words, she's communicating with us. She says, I gave you one year, husband, she says. And uh, <laughs> I don't know how, how far you want to go into that. Let's, let's just say that things don't go according to plan. Right. And so, um, yeah, the, the story is... The the sort of inciting incident is that um, Yvain is a knight of the round table and he gets married uh, to a lady and then he's convinced by his other knight friends, his fellow knights, to continue adventuring. And he, he asks his wife, can I go back out and continue adventuring? And she says, you can, but only if you return in a year. Well, a year comes and goes. He loses track of time. He doesn't come back. So she says to him, when he finally does come back, she says, you broke your promise. So we're not together anymore. You know, kick rocks. And uh, so the sto- that's where the story starts, is him getting thrown out and kind of wandering the world alone and sad. Um until he comes upon the lion who's in distress and he, uh, he joins the lion in a fight against a dragon. Um, and, and so that prologue is that's, that's all in the prologue. There's a little more that happens, but, but basically that sets the stage for, for what's going to happen in the rest of the book. Because then when we get into the rest of the book, uh, the knight and the lion are friends. Um, and they're kind of going on adventures together and, uh, and it it goes from there um and what they get into after that um you know some of it has to do with Yvain trying to prove himself to his his wife again and some of it has to do with him kind of grappling with the um moral code that the knights have and how that fits into his own life uh but yep see some of this has a lot to do with some of the married friends that i've had <laughs> they have they're interested in going out and doing 
fun things, shall we say. And then the wife, of course, does not want that to happen. They prefer that you stay around the house and uh, watch romantic movies with them and things like that. And so some of my friends are always, they, they come to me who's not married and always get a huge kick out of that. They come to me and talk about this. Like I know anything about these things. And they <laughs> tell me all these things about, oh, my wife, she won't let me do this. She won't let me do that. And I want this and that. And I can never do it. And I'll, and I'm kind of like, well, talk with her, <laughs> you know, work it out. Kind of the only thing I can think of. And I, I get a huge kick though is that they come to the single guy and talk about that. And so I, <laughs> I, I find that always funny uh, with that. But it, it's interesting to me that the the companion that he comes across is a large animal. Which somebody that he or something that he has more in common with than other people, it seems like, and they become real friends. Of course, I, I always look on Facebook and I see all the the husband who didn't want a, a dog, and suddenly they get a dog, and it's the, it's his best friend. And <laughs> oh, the wife yeah. is kind of on the outs, looking like, "Well, I got the dog for me," kind of a look. <laughs> and so I, I get a kick out of that. But this is. <sighs> Did they really back? Did the original legend really have all this about the wife and stuff? Was that? Did you integrate those oh, kind no, of good that, things? So I invented plenty of things for this story because mm-hmm. it's actually quite a long. The original legend is quite long, and I had to cut a lot of things out. But and I added a few things of my own. But everything about the wife kicking him out because he didn't return—that's straight out of the original legend. Um, everything about the night rescuing the lion from the dragon that's straight out of the original uh in fact if you've read the original you'll I, i've left little easter eggs for for people they're not you can read the story without ever having read the original just fine but i've left little easter eggs for people who, who did read it um that are little nods to that to that original and uh definitely the the way that the wife kicks him out and uh, the way he encounters the lion, that stuff is directly from the legend. So he is separated from his wife and the lion also loses his spouse, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, the, so they got something in common. That's what's going mm-hmm. on. So right, that's interesting. I'm fascinated by that whole business. Uh, that, uh, uh, and then of course, let's just say that there's a struggle and Yvane does not necessarily, uh, let's say the lion doesn't necessarily come through unscathed. That's, That's right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I definitely don't mind uh, spoiling that aspect of it in the original uh, story, the 13th century romance. Um, the uh, dragon bites a lion's tail and at that same moment, Yvane severs the dragon's head and in the process cuts off the end of the lion's tail. Um, and, uh, and so then throughout the rest of the story, one of the big sort of identifying features of the lion is that he's missing the end of his tail. See, that's interesting, but I loved his response. He's done it, and he can, he sees what's happened, and he looks at the line. Line starts to walk away, and what does Evane say? Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found that really entertaining. I can, that that's a guy response right there. That's what guy. <laughs> something I, I did something bad. Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Kind of a thing. 
And then, of course, the lion, let's just say, uh, formalizes the friendship by, let's just say, helping him eat when he's hungry. Right, right. Yep. That's really good. See, that... (sighs) There's this wonderful panel. It's a full-page image. And uh, Yvain is there by a fire. Mm-hmm. And he's laying under a rock. And who's on the top of the rock but the, the male lion? Yep. And he's kind of watching out and looking out for Yvain so Yvain can sleep. Oh, yeah. I, that that full-page panel really got me because... I always wonder when, when when does the lion get a chance to sleep if he's watching out for the you know for the human uh, when does he actually get some rest? I mean, so during the night he's got to lay his head down. Sometimes seems like. Oh, I'm sure, but yeah, I think uh, in that panel, I just kind of wanted to show that you know the lion was grateful for how Yvain helped him and was now uh, was now watching over him and um there uh sort of small spoiler there is a a scene later in the book that is actually kind of the opposite of that it's a, a reflection of that scene in which Yvain is watching over um and so uh when you read the book hopefully there will be some some rhyming to that and and you know like a a sort of lyricism and um you know uh resonance where where there's like some emotional beats there because of that and I, and I like to put in you know comics are a visual medium and I like to I like to really take advantage of that where it's like what can I do where basically in this case I have two pages that are there's no text on them there's it's just a illustration um, that echo each other and that like tell a story and have resonance without me even putting any words on the page. Okay. There's a wonderful sequence where he's shaving and the lion is, <laughs> he's doing something that's endearing. Shall we say reminiscent of what a dog does. Uh, a dog, if, if a dog trusts you, he'll roll over on his back and let you rub his stomach. Right. And while he's not rubbing his stomach, the lion is on his back and kind of moving his legs like dogs would do. And so I think that's a great job, I think, of making us understand the relationship and what the lion actually is involved in and how the lion feels about Evain and, and their interaction is that it's actually sort of an owner pet kind of relationship, seems like. Yeah. I, in I a way. Interesting. So I, I, that's really interesting. And then, of course, we, as they go out, they start to have adventures and other mythological creatures show up and things like that. So uh, this book is about 82 pages, as I said, on the on the, the, the Kickstarter. Um, so I'm, I'm curious because normally your other books have been like individual issues, like you'll do four or five individual issues and then collect them. This one's starting out as a complete story. Yeah, uh, so we kind of went back and forth on it, and um, ultimately, what um, what we kind of discovered was that you know we had this story we wanted to tell, and we thought it would be a lot more impactful for readers if they got the whole story at once. Um, and um, frankly, I just um, I feel as though I'm reaching a place with 
with Kickstarter and crowd and crowdfunding and uh, and doing comics that that I can have the kind of reach that I need to to make higher goals and and get you know more complete stories done at once. Um, and it's actually I'm hoping to really start transitioning more as I go into more full graphic novels and and fewer individual issues because I know there's collectors out there that really like the individual issues. And I think I'll, you know, sometimes return to that, but um, I think in general readers like being able to get the whole story. Um, And so many people that I've talked to just prefer that trade paperback or graphic novel format over individual issues. And while it's more expensive for me to do because I have to do more art at once, um, and of course, printing a graphic novel is more expensive than printing an individual issue. I still, um, you know, I, I want to give people what they want and I want to, and I want to tell more stories, frankly, and I can tell more stories faster when I fund an entire graphic novel at once. Well, you know, so many comics never end and that, dri- that drives me insane. I'm particularly thinking of X-Men, how oh, you sure. can have- decades you could read the x-men books for years and never see an ending right any place to you know where the story kind of pauses it just keeps going and going and going and to me i love to see a story that has not necessarily a complete wrap-up but a place where we things pause you know there's a resolution of some sort going on are you I don't want to spoil anything, but is this set up in such a way that you could do the Night and the Lion too? Uh, yes and no. So I, no spoilers at all to tell you that um, I do intend to do more Swords of Arthur stories, um, but rather than the Night and the Lion two, what there will be is another story about another knight. Um, and that's why we have the subtitle, a swords of Arthur story. Um, because so my, the way that I wrote this book is it is a standalone story, meaning that even if I don't make another book, this story stands on its own. It has a resolution. The character of Yvain has a complete arc, complete story here. Hmm. And, um, whether or not we'll see Yvain again, um, Maybe, maybe not, but the next book will be about a completely different night. Um, and uh, my goal, I actually have, depending on how well these are received, this book is received and the next one and et cetera, I have eight stories planned about eight different nights um, that are basically my favorite. Like I've read so many stories about King Arthur and his knights, you know, all all the way from the oldest stuff from like the eighth century, all the way up to like more modern adaptations. And, uh, and I basically have chosen eight knights that I really like that. I would like to adapt their stories into graphic novels. And each one is like a standalone. The way that I think about it is kind of like, sort of like, uh, the Marvel cinematic universe. It's like, we had Iron Man, and that was a complete story. And then we had The Incredible Hulk, and that was a complete story. Now, later on, they ended up sort of teaming up and 
doing things together. But, um, you know, early on it was like each one was its own story, um, telling the story of that particular hero. And that's, that's kind of what I'm imagining here. So are they all based on legends? Are any of them new creations completely that you've come up with? How do they go? So every story that I've, I've, the those eight stories are in various stages of completion in terms of writing but um i want to say that every one of them is a real knight from an old legend um but some of them have more deviations from the original than others um i would say that um the first two or three that I'm planning um, are heavily based on original materials. Um, and um, But as I tell more stories, I'm kind of creating my own version of the King Arthur myth. Um, and so eventually I'll be telling some stories that deviate a little more and they're just sort of building on the characters that I've introduced. Okay, now you touched on something I'm curious about. What about Arthur? Are you going to tell Arthur stories at all with with your uh, your twist, as you put it? Yeah, actually. Um, so King Arthur, um, I guess this is this is a small spoiler. He does not appear in the Knight and the Lion. Um, in fact, the Knight and the Lion doesn't go to Camelot at all. Um, but King Arthur does feature in some of the other stories and. King Arthur is one of the eight knights that I want to tell a story about. But in my mind, it's kind of like we tell the stories of a lot of the other knights, and then it kind of all leads to uh, a story about, you know, King Arthur and kind of giving him his due after after a lot of other stories. So I'm very interested in the character of King Arthur, but I also think that he is basically obviously i mean he's obviously the most well-known character mm-hmm. and um and i i think he's had the most stories told about him mm-hmm. and so um while i would like to eventually give my spin on sort of his origin and everything i think that um there are a lot of other characters that are lesser known and have been adapted less like um this particular knight yvane the knight and the lion is a character and a story that has been far less frequently adapted. Um, mm-hmm. And and then the second story that I want to tell, which I won't name yet, is also another one that, uh, that I haven't seen any adaptations of, um, but is one of my favorite uh, King Arthur stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the artwork. Uh, Kay Wolheiser, I guess, is the name of the artist who does the... Is that the internal stuff instead of the, the prequel? Yes. So the prologue is Jonathan Fisher, and then the main art is done by Kay Woolheiser. Yep. Okay. Because as I looked, you sent a preview to me that I got to look at. One of the things, I, well, I always judge artwork on two things, action sequences and facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough to me, she does an amazing job on the lion's facial expressions. Oh, yeah. There's- that was one of our... That was one of our um, our conditions. We were looking for 
who can, number one, if you wanted to draw this book, you had to be able to draw a lion. Um, you know, cause I think a lot of times, um, when people are faced with drawing, um, animals, sometimes they struggle. Uh, like when I was working on unicorn vampire hunter, I knew whoever drew the book had to be able to draw a horse cause they were going to have to draw a horse over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> And so we knew that for this book, you needed to be able to draw a lion and we wanted the lion to be expressive because of course the lion can't talk, but he is one of the main characters of the book. Um, and so he has to be able to express a lot. Right. Right. Now that reminds me very much that there's an expression. It's, it's, it's on the same page where the lion's on, on, on his back. Mm-hmm. And the, in the second column, there is this one picture where the lion is looking at Evain. And the expression on the lion's face, it reminds me, I, I, is it the Call of the Wild? There was a, a book where there was a dog that ended up with a man who was going to like Alaska or some sort of wilderness area and stuff like that. And the dog kind of bonded with the guy and at one point they did a comic version of it and at one point the the dog looks at the man and realizes that he as as a pet loves this guy mm-hmm. and the look on the dog's face is very reminiscent of the lion's look when he's looking at Evane. it reminds me very much when i had we had a dog here that uh, one day i was I, I was there with her and i looked down at her and she had this look just like the lion's looking. <laughs> and I just, and I reached down and I started to rub her back and stuff like that because I could tell she was kind of looking at me. I, I, the expression said to me, I like you. And that's what, <laughs> that's what the lion is saying right there. It feels to me that the lion's actually watching him do something else. And he's got a look of, you know, I like you. You know, even though you're something different, I like you. That's what I see there. Is that what the, you're, you're trying to communicate with that page? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I think uh, I think that Kay does a really good job of of expressing the feelings that the lion has and making the lion feel like a real character in the book. I, I really like that because, you know, there's no other way for them really to do it except their their facial expressions. There's no way to communicate what the lion's thinking and feeling, except that you can do it well. Well, he does it well. When when the the lion is startled, the eyes are are like shocked. And oh yeah, when the lion's mad, boy, the eyes kind of narrow and kind of and busy with you know looking at at uh, something to attack something. There's <laughs> there's one time when uh, Evane's talking to somebody, and the lion actually just like a dog stretches out. Mm-hmm. It does mm-hmm. a stretching thing. And now the question I have for you is, did you put that in there or was that Kay's addition to that? Oh, I'd have to go back and look at my script. I'm sure my script has like some sort of uh, mention of like sort of what the lion is doing or how it's feeling. But honestly, uh, so much of the expressiveness of the lion and the different things that the lion does are just totally k i mean she's a genius when it comes to uh giving both human and animal characters you know real big personalities um and so i i can't really take credit for uh for too many of those things because there's one page where evane is let's say 
uh, receiving a hug from somebody. And the lion's head is tilted just in such a way to you can see that the, the lion approves or is, is happy yeah, with yeah. what's going on. So, see, those kinds of things are critical in a book like this. And I think that she did an absolutely genius job of that, of uh, making the, the lion communicate. And let's just say that she doesn't only do it with the lion. There are mythological creatures that show up that you kind of get a, a fair sense of what they're thinking and feeling as well. So, really a great job on her. Is she going to be doing the other stories or is she basically for this one? Uh, the current plan is that Kay will stay on as the main artist for, uh, for all the future stories. Now, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I never know. Uh, I, so, you know, I don't, I don't want to guarantee anything, but, but Kay and I have had a lot of conversations about sort of all the different stories that I want to tell. And, uh, and she's very excited about them. So as long as, you know, she doesn't get, uh, snapped up by Marvel or DC or something like that, then I think that, uh, I think that she will continue to be the artist for these stories. <laughs> There's a, a wonderful sequence where, uh, let's say Evane's talking to somebody and they, and that person starts going off and yells out something and he turns to the lion and says, I know he's a lot. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I I love that 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 <laughs> that really does a lot of uh, it communicates a lot of what's going on and I really enjoy that I think that that is it's really nicely done very very personal and personable in the way that's done just just nicely done I I just think that not everybody can do that and carry that off convincingly shall we say. But right. uh, she does that. Now, there are some other uh, things that you can get. You can get uh, a just lying around sticker. <laughs> yep. Now, is that is that her? Did you come no, up with that? No, so the, uh, the sticker was drawn by, drawn by Jonathan Fisher, who is ah. uh, the co-creator, and he drew the prologue. And actually, Jonathan has drawn almost every die-cut sticker that I've ever offered on all my campaigns. Uh, there have been one or two that he didn't do cause he didn't have time, but he, um, he is almost always the artist on these stickers and I think he does such a great job. Um, and we always try to go for stickers that are clever and, uh, and unique that we think people might like, even if they're not, uh, comic book readers or they haven't read the book. It's like, you know, the, uh, this sticker says just lying around, but instead of lying, it just has the lion in place of lion um mm-hmm. you know and he's sleeping and i i think it's very clever uh and i think he did a great job with it and then we also have um an enamel pin and this is the first time i've ever i've ever done an enamel pin wow um but uh i was people have asked uh for years now people have asked me to do a pin and i've always been very hesitant because it's not a flat it's not a truly flat item um, and so that kind of makes it harder to package. And, uh, and so I've always been a little bit nervous about including an enamel pin. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, people kept asking for it. So Jonathan designed this pin and I think it looks really cool. And of course, what we have on the page is just a, um, the design of the pin and not, um, you know, what the final pin will look like. It'll look similar, obviously, but, it's an enamel pin. So I think it'll turn out 
you know, very cool. Um, and then we have a few other things like there's a bookmark, um, in, that includes the art of that page you really liked with the lion lying on his back mm-hmm. being playful. Um, and then we also have a variant cover and we have a process book, which I'm super excited about because um, basically this is going to be an 80 page book. It's going to be like roughly the same length as the actual book, but it's going to be filled with concept art, pencils, inks, um, thumbnails. It's going to be filled with script pages and behind the scenes info. So it's like a black and white book, but it's like basically a complete behind the scenes look at, at the making of the book where we really just like fling the doors wide open for anyone interested in sort of how the book was made. I always think those are good because if somebody else wants to do something, you kind of help that other person have an idea as to how they could do it. For sure. For sure. I, I want to go back to the enamel pin for a second. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that genuinely Evane's crest with the lion on it? Because there's an entertaining thing on the bottom. You know, we talked about the lion, the fact that his tail is cut off. Oh, and yeah. on the bottom, there's on two sides, there are two cut off <laughs> lion tails, shall we say. Yeah. So, um, this is not genuinely Yvain's crest, but um, <laughs> but it is uh, sort of the we want we basically wanted a, a crest pin, and we thought, okay, it's got to have it's a shield, it's got to have the lion on it, of course. Um, but what makes this lion unique? Well, he got his tail cut off, so um, so yeah, it's sort of like a little symbol of the book, and um what we thought is if this is a popular thing, if people like the, the enamel pin, then when we come back for the next story about another night, we'll have another crest that sort of has a symbol as an emblem of that night. Hmm. I like that. That's kind of cute. I think that's really fun. Cause when I noticed that the tail was cut, <laughs> that entertained me. I thought that was really nicely done. So yeah, this is a great book. This is going to be eighty-two pages. What I've read of the story so far is very engaging. Like I said, I've been I've supported it, and I, I'm fascinated to see where you go with it because it's going to be something interesting. It, it makes me want to read the original story and see how you changed it and uh, how, what you followed exactly and what you didn't. That'll be fun to take a look at and see about. Well, that. the the good news is if if anyone is interested in reading the original story, which I mean. I hesitate to say that I recommend what I would say is if you're a fan of medieval literature, I recommend it. I think if you're not, and you're not used to that kind of writing, it's pretty dry. Um, but I think if you can get through the sort of like really flowery language and like sort of long winding expositions, um, then there's a very entertaining story at the heart of it. And, um, it's called the night in the lion by, uh, Christian of Troy. But, um, I'm, that's like the, the English version. It's like, um, Christian, Christian de, de Troy, uh, or something like that. However you pronounce that in French, but, um, you can find it online for free. I mean, there's PDFs from, from various different, um, uh, colleges that are just available for free online of the story and you can also find that author's other stories um and if you start going down that rabbit hole you might guess some of the other knights 
that I'm going to be adapting. Um, <laughs> so if you're if you are interested in old dusty uh medieval literature books then i would totally recommend checking it out um and uh yeah at some point i may even um find some choice passages from it i won't read the whole thing because it's very long but i i'm considering uh reading some of my favorite passages and recording them and sort of um releasing that as as sort of a free little audio file on my website for people who are interested that'd be cool i'd like to see that it'd be fun uh, again, it's called The Knight and the Lion, A Swords of Arthur Story. And, it's again, it's going to end on April 30 at midnight mm-hmm. uh, Pacific time, if I remember correctly. And that that's going to be good. And you're well on the way to get there. And hopefully by the time this posts, you're into your stretch goals, which you mentioned that you have on the page. So that's oh, always yeah. a good thing. So uh, let's catch up on some of your other stuff. The Unicorn Vampire Hunter, how are things going with that right now? Oh, it's going great. Um, we recently did a uh, a silver edition Kickstarter, which was a Kickstarter that was basically a reprint of number one with a metallic silver cover and a new art. And then um, we also, uh, so as of this recording, the release date is tomorrow, but by the time this comes out, it will already be out in stores. The Scout Comics edition of Unicorn Vampire Hunter number one uh, came out in stores on April 5th, uh, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, you, uh, if you're if you interested in Unicorn Vampire Hunter, you might swing by your local comic book shop if you're uh, listening to this still in the month of April. Um, or you can order it directly from scoutcomics. Is it scoutcomics.com? Sure. Yeah, it's scoutcomics.com. They have a store right there. Uh, yeah, they have the store and they not only on, on scoutcomics.com, you can not only get, um, the digital edition or the regular edition, but they also have a web exclusive, uh, edition of the comic. So you can pick those up on, on their website. And then we will be having the, uh, paperback trade edition coming out, um, at some point, um, it's um I haven't uh haven't been given the release date yet but uh but that will be coming out through Scout and then actually uh later this year we're going to be doing a a, li- a very limited run hardcover Kickstarter edition of the first volume of Unicorn Vampire Hunter um for cool. that's for people who want you know a really we're going to go really fancy it's going to be the fanciest book I've ever done we're going to have uh sort of silver um uh, foil stamping on the logo on the book. And then there's also going to be gilded silver, gilded page edges. Um, and there's going to be a ribbon bookmark in the book. It's going to be, you know, really a, a, a fancy like library edition hardback. Um, cool. so I think that's going to be really cool. Um, and then, um, later, much later this year, we're also doing a crossover graphic novel, that's called Unicorn Vampire Hunter versus Vampire Detective in Space. Really? Oh wow! I'm you know me. I'm a crossover guy. Right. So right. I'm looking forward to that. That'll be something interesting. That'll be fascinating to see that. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be really fun. I think I think on the on the surface, it's a very uh, it's a very goofy concept. Um, basic because you know Vampire Detective in Space is in the distant future in space, and Unicorn Vampire Hunter is a fantasy story. 
Um, but let's just say there's a evil space wizard involved and who kind of pulls uh, one of our heroes through time. Um, and, uh, and they kind of face off against each other before they realize they have to team up and fight the evil space wizard. So it's, it's a very goofy concept. Um, but I think it's going to have some real heart to it, a sort of buddy cop, um, kind of thing. Sounds like fun. I'd really like to see that. I, I, I'm interested because, of course, the unicorn is a vampire hunter, and the uh, the, the 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 detective is a vampire. So there's naturally going to be animosity between the two. Right, so right. That sounds like fun. That'd be great. Oh man, I like that. That sounds good. To see. I was wondering how the the vampire detective was doing. Yeah. So, so vampire detective um, just. Uh depending on when this comes out a couple months ago, we wrapped up our Kickstarter for the fourth and final issue of unicorn, sorry, vampire detective in space, which um, was a big success. And and so now we've got that done. And at some point we'll do a collected edition of that. And I can also announce that vampire detective in space will also be coming out through scout comics. Um, And so um, that was sort of part of the, uh, actually (laughs) part of the, uh, the, the impetus for that, uh, was I was like, okay, they accepted Unicorn Vampire Hunter at Scout Comics and they accepted Vampire Detective in Space. And I said, well, since both of these are represented by Scout Comics, might as well do a crossover between them. <laughs> um, and so uh, so that's kind of uh, something that's, that's coming in the future. But um, for now, Vampire Detective in Space is a complete story. Um, if you didn't catch it on the Kickstarter, you'll be able to catch up on my current Kickstarter. There's an add-on where you can add those on or um, before too long, they'll be on my website. And then at some point in the future, it'll be released through Scout Comics. Um, so yeah, those those two series are, are going quite well. Um, and uh, certainly Unicorn Vampire Hunter has always been my most successful book and I have big plans to, you know, keep expanding that series. That's not going anywhere anytime soon. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Sounds like a lot of fun. I, I love it when a thing takes off and, uh, and you've got lots of good stories to go with it. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing more of those kinds of things. Um, is there anything else that you're working on or is that, that keeping you pretty busy? Oh, there, Wayne, there are always things that I am working on. <laughs> and um, I can tell you that, uh, some of those things I can talk about and some that I can't, um, you know, I've basically told you all the, all the Kickstarter projects I have planned for this year, but, uh, but you know, comics take a long time to make as I'm sure you well know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I am in the early stages of some things that I haven't announced yet that will be coming out hopefully next year. Um, and, um, you know, the more that I do this, the more that I grow, the more projects I'm taking on and, um, and I'm finding that, you know, there's more people that want to work with me, which is very flattering. And it also is, I finding myself sometimes having to say no, um, mm. um, which That's is a good a, place to be. It's a very good place to be. It's a very good problem <laughs> to have. Um, so let's just say I will be putting out as many new comics as I am possibly able to do. Uh, I've really maxed out my bandwidth and uh, we are creating a lot of cool stuff, um, including something which I can't announce the specifics of other than it is a role-playing game. So last year for, as part of Unicorn Vampire Hunter four and five, um, which was a combined Kickstarter, I also did a one-shot role-playing adventure game. I remember Um, that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was compatible with Dungeons and Dragons. It was fully illustrated and, and not only was it an adventure, it was also an in canon story that expanded the world of Unicorn Vampire Hunter. And uh, people really liked it. And so um, I have, uh, I cannot uh, really say too many of the details. What I can say is I am actively working on a new property, a new story that is being developed as a role-playing game um, that we'll be uh, writing and playtesting over the course of the next year. And hopefully sometime next year, we'll be hitting Kickstarter. And I'm really excited about that because it's sort of like a brand new type of storytelling that I'm getting into. Right, right. Um, so... Yeah, that that's a whole new uh, 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 fandom to access. Hopefully, Cause, hopefully, cause gaming, of course, has their own fans, and there's there's a bunch of those too. And and some people are games only, some people are games and comics, and some people are comics. But uh, if you can access those and maybe get some of them into your comics, oh, for sure, to do it'd be great things. Yeah, so, I mean. Um, I think uh, I think it, it's an exciting place to be, and I've always been a big gamer. Um, I am a huge board gamer and a role playing gamer. I play Dungeons and Dragons all the time, and so wow. it's it's very cool to be participating in that as a creator. That, that must be very different to be on that side of the table all of a sudden. Oh, for sure, yeah. Because you have to, it's like being a what do you call it, a dungeon master in Dungeons and Dragons, where you you kind of have to lead the story along instead of following the story. So yeah, very different. So that, that that's going to stretch different muscles. That'll be good. That'll be great. So wow, you're you're a busy guy. I'll tell you, you've got lots of good things going on. Yeah, uh, but people, uh, go ahead. No, no. If people want to keep up with you on social media and stuff like that, how do they do that? So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Caleb Palmquist. Um, to be honest, I'm pretty bad at social media. Um, but if you really want to keep up with me and all my projects, the way to do that is to go to CalebPalmquist.com and sign up for my email newsletter. Um, because that is the number one way to get information about my new comics and People who are on my newsletter routinely get free stuff like comic books, secret podcast episodes, bookmarks, stickers, all sorts of free stuff um, that I'm always giving out to people who participate in my newsletter. So um, if you want that stuff and you want to hear about the latest comics, go to CalebPalmquist.com and sign up. Okay, I've got one last question for you. I saw that you and a friend started up your own podcast. That's right. I, I, listened, That's right. I, thought, I listened to the first two, and I found them really entertaining. But unfortunately, my life is so crazy; I can't listen to everything all the time. Sure. But uh, how's that going? Is that still going along too? Yeah, yeah, it's going great. We have, um, I want to say, just this uh, last weekend, as of this recording, we released our seventh episode, and we've been releasing an episode every Sunday. Wow. Um, and some of the episodes we've had guests on, some of it, it's just Alan and I. And Alan Dunford is the creator of comics like Pocus Hocus and Grandma Chainsaw. Um, and he's a very talented comic book writer, a good friend of mine. And basically, the concept of the show is that uh, we choose a topic that has to do with crowdfunding or making comics every week. And we both share what are the biggest mistakes that we made regarding that topic. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, that's really interesting. But that's very helpful to people who maybe haven't gone that route yet and, and would like to know what to avoid. So that's a great thing. I think that that's that's a great idea to do that. So I, I'm, glad to, I, I'm behind. Like I said, I heard the first two, but I haven't listened to them since. Then I'll have to catch up when I get a chance. But it sounds like it's a good thing to listen to. So lots of- I think, yeah, for us, it's been really fun because we, you know, basically what happened was Alan and I were talking on the phone, you know, probably about once a week. We were just talking on the phone because we were both doing comics and comic book crowdfunders and we were uh, we'd be talking strategy every week. And then we were like, well, wait a minute. Why don't we just record this? Uh, and, uh, and put it out there. And, you know, if people listen to it and they like it, that's great. And if nobody listens to it, we still had fun making it and it helps us grow as creators. So see that that's funny. Cause I do a little thing on YouTube, which is just me. Uh, I, I do like a, 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 a video thing cause everything I have done so far is audio, audio all the time. So I wanted to put my toe in the video water. And so I started to do that. I started to learn the, the software and I do it. And sometimes I get two whole viewers. Sometimes one time I got 150 when I talked about uh, a, I reviewed a book that uh, people were interested in hearing what I was saying about it. And uh, but uh, I do it largely just because I want to learn the software and I want to know the in case I really need to use it for some some good reason. I want to be able to do it, and so I do that all the time. So it, it's awesome. funny that, that you do that. So we keep. <laughs> we keep expanding our reach as we do these things because we see something and we go, I'd like to try that. So that's kind of how this goes. So, well, Caleb, you're doing wonderful stuff and I hope people follow you and get, be sure to get down there and get the knight and the lion and make sure that's a big success. And it won't be long before that'll be uh, ready to go. And well, I guess oh, any idea when that uh, book's going to come out, do you have a, a projected date for that? Yeah, so this one is a little bit longer of a timeline than some of my previous books. We've got it about 35% done. Um, We're currently estimating that the book will be finished near the end of the year. Um, And then as soon as it's done, we'll send it to the printers and get it out to everyone. So if you back the project now, you're looking at getting the book in uh, early 2024. But, you know, of course, uh, part of that has to do with the fact that it's a whole graphic novel. And, uh, and we're sort of, you know, seeking funding to help make it happen. But, um, I know the people who back comic book Kickstarters are, are patient and, uh, and, you know, they, they'll get updates the whole way. Um, and we don't really anticipate anything going over schedule. So, so it's a little bit longer wait than some of my previous projects have been, but I think it's really going to be worth it. Well, it's great that you're getting to do these other kinds of storytelling, and I think you're going to be good at that just as you are with the others. So it's going to be great fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And, Caleb, keep up the wonderful stuff. I am just dying to see what you got, uh, some of those projects that you couldn't talk about. Those are ones I'm going to be really interested <laughs> to hear about in the future. So that'll be lots of fun. So keep it up. Thank you very much. And that's it for this week. Be back next time when we'll have another great interview with another terrific comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics.